Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Wednesday, July the 20th, 2022. It is currently 2.59 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from Abilene, Texas. Now, let me ask you a very important question. And you know I love starting my podcast with asking questions. Don't I do that a lot? I do that frequently, don't I? I start by asking you a question. I, I, maybe you appreciate that. Maybe you don't. Sometimes I'm like, you know, let's not start with a question this time. But I always find a way of asking you a question. But this is important. Do you feel you have specific hermeneutical keys that guide you and interpreting the Bible. If you were to, if I was to give you a piece of paper and say, write down three, like hermeneutical keys, key, three interpretive keys that helps you interpret the Bible correctly, what three keys would you write down? Three interpretive keys. Now, let's, let's remind ourselves of something. This is very, very important. Listen to me carefully. First, you always have to understand there is Bible study, and Bible study is observational. Bible study is not about interpretation. Bible study is about taking a Bible study method, applying that method so that you can accurately observe what's in the text. If you bring in interpretation in the middle of study, I think that you, that almost always leads to problem because Bible study, you, you put it this way, observation always comes before interpretation. The quality of your observation determines the quality of your interpretation. I know all of you know this, but I have to repeat it frequently, okay? So first you need to know Bible study methods, like a chapter summary method, chapter analysis method, thematic method, topical method, biographical method, book background method, all of the different methods, right? You've got to know those methods. That gives you the tool or tools, plural, that gives you tools to put in your toolbox, right? So that you can pull them out at any time, take a passage apart, and that you can do observation. That observation keeps you from ever being manipulated by someone saying the text says something it doesn't actually say. It protects you so much and it gives, it gets you about maybe 60, 70% prepared to do a decent interpretation. If all you do is Bible study methods, you're probably 60, 70%, maybe even more ready now to possibly offer an interpretation because you have seen what's actually in the text. All right. So that's very important. But beyond that, you usually need certain principles, certain hermeneutical principles, certain interpretive principles to kind of help you so that you don't, well, go off the road, right? As I, I use this illustration all the time. I don't know where you live, but here in Texas, if I get on the highway and I start driving, I, I'm driving, 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 and if I kind of veer a little bit to the right, if I just veer a little bit to the right, all of a sudden I'm going to hear, <laughs> okay, I don't know if that's a good sound effect, but just <laughs> these rumble strips, right? And that's to tell you, no, 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 get back over, get back over, wake up, pay attention, stop looking at your phone, stop arguing with your kids, stop arguing with your wife, get back on the road, get back on the road, get back on the road, not get back on the phone, get off your phone, get back on the road, wake up. Those rumble strips are there to keep you on the road. Well, you need good interpretive principles, good hermeneutical principles, hermeneutical keys that when you're trying to interpret, all of a sudden, if you start veering off 
too far to the left or too far to the right, it tells you to get back on the road. It feels ridiculous trying to make that sound, but you get the idea, right? You get the, hopefully that illustration will stay with you, okay? It gets you back on the road. And there's some very important ones, but I want to talk about a, a one that I believe many in the evangelical world has forgotten it has become lost, and I think it's very important in what we're doing this week in our Bible study exercise, because you know that for the Bible study exercise this week, you're supposed to be spending a lot of time in Luke chapter 10 and 2 Kings chapter 5. That's where you're supposed to be just living and breathing Luke 10 and 2 Kings 5, right? You you know the text. You've, you've been already given homework. Hopefully you've been, I mean, it's Wednesday. Hopefully by this point you've read it, I don't know, 20, 30 times the, the key passages. Hopefully you have. If you haven't, well, then you're not doing the observational part of study, right? Which is a problem. But after you've done all of the observational part, you need some hermeneutical keys. And here is the hermeneutical key. I want you to write this down. I want you to post this on your, I want you to post it. I want you to place it on your refrigerator with a magnet. I want you to post it on all of your social media platforms. I want you to write it down. I want you to carry it with you. I want you to write it in the front of your Bible. All right, here we go. Hermeneutical key, biblical interpretive key. Hermeneutical principle, biblical interpretation principle, however you want to define it. Here is the one I want you to write down. You must maintain at all times a proper distinction between law and gospel. You must maintain at all times a proper distinction between law and gospel. Now, are you familiar with that hermeneutical key? Or do you reject it? Some will reject that and go, no, 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 no. Those who try to make a distinction between law and gospel, they're the ones who are wrong. There's not complete agreement on this, obviously, but I think it's very important. If you want to have any, now look, if you want to go back to the Roman Catholic Church, then by all means, you obliterate the distinction between law and gospel, okay? But if you are not Catholic, and you're in the non-Catholic world, believing in sola scriptura and believing in a salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone, then you must maintain a proper distinction between law and gospel, or you will destroy, listen to me, you will destroy the gospel. This is how important this hermeneutical key is, this hermeneutical principle is. Once the proper distinction between law and gospel is obliterated, the gospel is obliterated. The doctrine of justification is obliterated, and many, well, uh, many would argue that the doctrine of justification is the doctrine which the church stands or falls. Now, do you know what it means to maintain a proper distinction between law and gospel? How much have you been taught about this principle? Well, we won't be able to do a full study on that subject in this Bible study exercise, but coming soon right here on the Theology Central podcast, we are going to begin a series on God's no and God's yes, the proper distinction between law and gospel. And we're going to look at 25 theses theses, um, in regards to this concept. And hopefully you will find it to be beneficial. I don't know how we're going to put it all together, 
but that will be there to help and assist you, and that will supplement what we're going to do today. All right, so are you ready? Okay, here we go. Bible study exercise. For those who are brand new, this whole series is designed to get you off the couch. It's not, I don't want you sitting there being a passive listener, but an active participant. We give homework. We give assignments that you can send to me, newsif at yahoo.com. There is curriculum. If you want to sign up for the curriculum, it's absolutely free. You just email me, say, I want the curriculum. We don't charge you. We are very grateful for those who help support and, and pay for the curriculum so we can make it available to many people as possible. But it's all there for you. And then, of course, all of the podcast uh, episodes in this series. Well, I think we're what? Almost at 300 now, almost at 300 uh, episodes. So please go back and listen to the entire series. But here we go to this week. It's Luke 10, 2 Kings 5. If you have a Bible, let's open up to Luke chapter 10. I hope this is going to be beneficial. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We've already we've been working on this for just a little bit, and I think I think we had a good conversation. I, I can't say that the presentation was perfect, but I think there was some there was a little bit of struggle I had, but we were having lots of technical problems, so I won't go back and explain everything. I'm not not going to make any excuses. Hopefully, this one will be better. But let's review briefly. Luke chapter ten, verse twenty-five. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, "Master." What shall I do to inherit eternal life? And remember, we focused on the fact that this person asked a spiritual question with wrong motives. And we talked about how you and I can ask spiritual questions with wrong motives. And we've talked about some of those wrong motives. Please go back and listen to that study. Even though it's not perfect in its presentation, I think the content ultimately outweighs any mistakes I made in speaking. So please go back and listen to that. I don't I don't usually say that because it feels self-serving. Go back and listen to what I said. But I think the discussion is well worth your time because whether you like it or not, you have been guilty and I've been guilty of asking a question with the wrong motive because this person is asking, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he's not really worried about inheriting eternal life. He's more worried about tempting Jesus trapping Jesus, testing Jesus. And there's lots of, there is some disagreement on exactly what he was trying to do here, but his motives clearly don't seem to be about finding truth. Verse 26, he said unto him, now this is Jesus speaking. So the lawyer asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, if I was to ask you that question, or if you're walking down the street, you're at work, you're sitting at your desk, I don't know, what, wherever you are, someone's, someone's, you're sitting at home and someone knocks on the door. You open the door, yes. Uh, I'm sorry to bother you. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I think you're going to say something like, Trust in Jesus, believe in Jesus, believe in his finished work on the cross, trust in him because our salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. You're going to tell them, believe in Jesus. But here's Jesus being asked that question, hey, what must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus doesn't say, believe in me. He doesn't say, place your faith in me. He doesn't say, accept me into your heart. Pray the sinner's prayer. Accept me as Lord. He doesn't say any of that, which leads to much confusion in the minds of many people and has led to great division within the body of Christ in 2,000 years of church history. And I can understand why. 
I mean, like you said, if we were just having a normal question, look, this person says this is what you have to do to have eternal life, and this is what Jesus says you have to do to, uh, to have eternal life. Which one should I listen to? Well, you would immediately say, we will listen to Jesus. But when we listen to what Jesus does here, you may be going, no, 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 never mind. Don't listen to Jesus because it seems confusing. Because Jesus says this. He said unto him, Luke 10, 26. Look what he says. What is written in the law? How readest thou? Jesus doesn't say, believe in me. No, 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 no. He's like, what does the law say? He points them to the law. He doesn't point them to the gospel. He doesn't point them even to himself. What does the law say? Now, this lawyer who asked the question, he says this, Luke 10, 27. And he, answer, and, and, and he answering said, if I can read correctly, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and with all thy... Uh, let me read this again. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and with all thy mind, and thy neighbor as thyself. Whoa, okay. He just laid out the law. Love God supremely, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, I want you to just think about this. What should the lawyer have said at that very moment? What should he have said at that very moment? Should he have said, okay, okay, all right, all I got to do is love God supremely, love neighbor self. Okay, I, I can do this. Or should he have said, well, the law says I'm supposed to do this and I've never done it. Now, of course, remember the whole problem with trying to interpret this is the person asking the question is not really seeking truth. So we have to at least consider that in this discussion. The one asking the question is trying to trap Jesus. But Jesus points him straight to the law. And then look what Jesus says, which is even more. So, so this person answers, he, he cites the law. He sums up the law. Love God, love others. Verse 28, Luke 10, 28. And he said unto him, thou hast answered right. This do, and thou shalt live. Whoa, wait, 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 Jesus, Jesus, wait, wait, what are you doing? What are you doing? You just told him, keep the law, and you will live. In other words, keep the law, and you will have eternal life. As another translation reads this. He, uh, Jesus said, Luke 10, 28, you've answered correctly. He told him, do this, and you will live. Jesus doesn't say, you need to repent, you need to say a prayer, you need, he doesn't say anything. He's like, do this, follow the law, and you will have eternal life. Keep the law, and you will have eternal life. Now, that can cause some serious theological problems. That can cause some serious Bible interpretation problems. Now, you could just be dismissive of it and go, well, see, Jesus is not giving him the right answer because he has the wrong, he has the, he, he's asking for the wrong motive. But uh, I don't think Jesus would, do, would take something as serious as eternal life and give someone the wrong answer just because he knows the person has the wrong motive. That, uh, I don't think so. So what is Jesus doing? 
What is Jesus doing? Well, let me, let me, let me, I think this is important. First, I'm going to ask you a question, and this is what, this is your kind of mini homework for today. I want you to go through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and find every time where Jesus seems to indicate that you will, you can have eternal life, you can obtain eternal life by what you do, that your salvation is based on what you do and the works you perform. I want you to find every time Jesus seems to indicate that do this and you will have eternal life. If you do this, you're going to be judged by your works. It's very a works-based, you must do this or to have eternal life. And if you don't, you will be condemned. I want you to just, and you should just make a list of every time Jesus seems to do that. Because at times it's, it's absolutely perplexing. You're like, Jesus, what are you doing? No, no, no. All you got to do is say, believe in me. Believe in me. Believe in me. Believe it. You're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Now, some will argue, well, Jesus was giving basically the Jewish answer, and then Paul came along and created a whole new religion. Well, we obviously disagree with that. We believe all scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished into every good work. We believe it's all from God. So we believe that there isn't a contradiction here. So what is Jesus doing? Well, again, your, your assignment. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John find every place where Jesus seems to indicate salvation is based on what you do. He seems to provide the answer. You want to be saved? Keep the law. Hey, you're going to be judged according to your works. Find all of those scriptures just so that you can observe them for yourself. But, when I, but one of the first ones you're going to find and I'm going to go ahead and give you one of the, I think it is the first one or pretty close. It's Matthew chapter five, Jesus' famous sermon that we refer to as the Sermon on the Mount. Now, again, I believe in the evangelical world, the Sermon on the Mount is a great example of people not maintaining a proper distinction between law and gospel. Once again, I believe the entire Sermon on the Mount is typically interpreted by most pastors and, and by obliterating the distinction between law and gospel. Well, let's look at one section of this. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Think not that I've come to destroy the law or the prophets. I've not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Now, that's very important. Jesus has come to fulfill every law. Every law of God, Jesus came to fulfill and to keep. Typically within the evangelical world, why did Jesus come? He came to die. Jesus came first to keep the law. All right? You if you ever forget that, you're obliterating a, bi a biblical understanding. You're destroying it. You're, in fact, you're destroying the gospel. We have to have a savior who keeps the law for us. This becomes very important. But let, let's continue. Matthew 5, verse 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Nothing from the law is going to go away until it's all been fulfilled. And who's going to fulfill it? Jesus. He came to fulfill the law. Jesus fulfilled the law. Every righteous demand Every law God called, commanded, or demand, or, or commanded, Jesus fulfilled. 
You may want to write that down and just carry that with you everywhere. Every righteous demand of the law was fulfilled by Jesus. Verse 19, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven, but whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now listen to this, verse 20. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoa. My righteousness has to exceed that of the scribes and Pharisees. Of the scribes who kept the law, who were meticulous in keeping the law. I've got to have a righteousness greater than theirs. What does that mean? This is Jesus demonstrating how he uses the law. Jesus presents the law as the righteous demands of God that you must keep in order to be saved. You say, so he's teaching a salvation by works. Absolutely not. He's teaching you, here's the righteous demand, keep it. If you want to be saved, you must keep it. Now, as soon as you hear those words, you must immediately begin to rip your clothing, okay, put put on sackcloth, throw up ashes in the air and say, I am condemned, I am undone, I am finished, I am ungodly, I because no matter how hard I try, I cannot keep the law. Because remember the way it works. You must keep every point of the law. If you break one point of the law, you're guilty of all of it. And if you don't keep every point of the law, you deserve to die. You, the only way to live by in the, under the law or by the law is to keep all the law because if you break any of the law, you deserve to die. So in a roundabout way, what Jesus is doing is we have to understand this distinction between law and gospel. Jesus does this frequently. You want eternal life? Do this, do this, do this. You're going to be judged according to your works. Do this, do this. And you're like, well, wait a minute. What is he saying? Well, without Christ, you're in a, you have no imputed righteousness. All you have is your righteousness. All you have is your works. And you will stand before God with your righteousness and your works. And you will be found guilty every single time. Your works will never be sufficient to to please a holy God. Remember God's demand. Be ye holy as he is holy. That's law. You will never accomplish that. But Jesus came to fulfill the law. You must see the distinction between law and gospel. The law, the purpose of the law is to show you the righteous demands of God so that you will realize that you are condemned and you will look for salvation in something other than law keeping and something other than works. And that is a righteousness that you are received by faith. So over and over and over, Jesus does this and it seems confusing, right? Because you're like, you would say, Jesus, don't do that. You're going to confuse him. But what he's, I think what he's trying to demonstrate to us until, listen, until a person is crushed by the weight of the law, they will never truly turn to the grace of the gospel. 
One must be condemned and crushed by the law. Until you understand how desperate, how bad your situation is, you will never seek the salvation found in the gospel. It's really the basic idea that we've talked about so many times in, in other areas of life. Until someone's really willing to acknowledge the problem, they will never seek help. Until they're really willing to acknowledge their helplessness, their hopelessness, the, 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 the desperate situation they're in, they will not seek help. Jesus, in a sense, is telling this lawyer, hey, you want eternal life? All right. What does the law say? Well, it says I got to love God. Uh, supremely, I got to love my neighbor as himself. Okay, do that and you'll live. Now, please note, immediately we know the lawyer realizes something is wrong here, right? Because the lawyer immediately, look at verse 29 of Luke uh, 10. If I said Matthew 5, I apologize. Luke 10, verse 29, the lawyer immediately says, wait. In fact, it tells us why. Willing to justify himself, he said unto Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Because immediately he realizes, whoa, whoa, if I'm supposed to love God supremely, and I'm supposed, now, loving God supremely, that's very vague. That's theoretical, right? You don't see God, so you can say, okay, I love, you can claim to love God. Now, you could argue that there's going to be certain signs of it, but it's still theoretical, and it's vague, and everyone can argue whether you love God or don't love God, right? That can be theoretical, but when it comes to loving actual people with flesh, who you see, who you run into, who you may not like. Oh, now that's more tangible. That's more objective. It's not so subjective. So when Jesus says, you've got to love your neighbor, immediately you're like, whoa, whoa, the more people I have to love, the far greater chance I'm going to be guilty and not keep the law. Therefore, I won't have eternal life. So immediately he starts, I'm going to justify myself. Well, then who is my neighbor? Now, if I can limit the number of people who are called my neighbor, right? Okay, well, let's see. I live in a city. Mm, that increases my, the number of neighbors. I know what I'll do. I'll move out in the country where the closest neighbor is 10 miles away. I can't even see their house. dun da dun da da I love my neighbor because my closest neighbor is a cow. My closest neighbor is a is a dog. Okay, yeah, I, I love my, see, I'm the godly one. But man, if I live in a city where there's people all around me, I don't like, and what if I live in an apartment complex for crying out loud? That's even worse. See, once you realize that you've got to keep the law in order to be saved, you immediately start trying to find every, every way to justify yourself. You're going to try to find every exception that you can to get out of the demands. The law says, do this and you will have eternal life. And what is the right result when you hear do this is, I haven't, I can't, I never will fulfill it. I need a savior. I need a righteousness that is not from within me. And the only hope then is Jesus Christ. The law says do and live. And the gospel says Christ has done it. Believe and you will live. We must maintain that proper distinction of law and gospel. 
When Jesus, the whole Sermon on the Mount, this, this is where so many people are so confused in how they preach it. Preachers get to the Sermon on the Mount like, okay, guys, do this, 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 do this. And how we typically teach the Sermon on the Mount, if you, this proves whether you're saved or not saved. If you keep the Sermon on the Mount, you prove your, this is how the evangelical world gets out of it. And the Catholic world, it can be like, hey, if you do some of these things, it's a mortal sin. You're no longer in a state of grace. You may have to, you're going to end up in purgatory or, or no, wait, if you commit a mortal sin, and you're no longer in a state of grace, you're going to go to hell. But if you break some of these, you may be committing a venial sin. In other words, this is very critical to eternal life. And you say, well, that's that works-based Catholicism. But over in the evangelical world, we play the same game. The entire Sermon on the Mount. If you keep it, it proves you're saved. Wait, what? Nobody keeps the Sermon on the Mount. Nobody. Nobody. The Sermon on the Mount is law. In fact, it's Jesus saying, hey, you know that law? You didn't really know it because the requirements of God goes beyond just an external action. It goes to an internal reality, an internal attitude, and an internal desire. So by the time you get done with the Sermon on the Mount, you should be even more condemned. You should even be more helpless, more hopeless, more in despair. But Protestant preachers have constantly taken the Sermon on the Mount and like, hey, this proves you're saved. And which, you know what they've done when they do that? They obliterate the gospel. No, the Sermon on the Mount is for you to go, I am fit, I'm undone. And by the time you get to the end of the, of the Sermon on the Mount, someone needs to say, you're guilty, right? I'm guilty, right? Our only hope is in Jesus Christ. And guess what? This is important. He kept the entire, he not only did he preach the Sermon on the Mount, he kept it. He fulfilled it. Because Jesus did not only fulfill the external requirements of the law, he fulfilled the internal requirements of the law. He truly loved God, the Father, with all of his heart, mind, body, and soul. He truly loved his neighbor as himself. His righteousness exceeded all those who tried to keep the law because he fulfilled it perfectly. Now, am I saying that we should, that the Sermon on the Mount doesn't provide a moral standard which we should strive for? Oh, it should, but it cannot be used as somehow proving my salvation because you will find yourself falling short of it continually. It's law. You must maintain a proper distinction between law and gospel. So when I get to Luke 10... And I'm like, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus, Jesus, don't do, Jesus, what are you doing? You just handed him law as the way to be saved. You, Jesus, you don't understand. We believe in the salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, because of Christ alone. Jesus, you need to read Paul. No, 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 no. Jesus knows exactly what he's doing. Oh, you want, you want eternal life? Well, here you go. Here's the law. Keep it. Immediately, the, the lawyer is like, well, 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 wait a minute, wait, well, who's my lawyer? So then Jesus goes to explain who his neighbor really is. And when you figure out who the neighbor is, it can be anyone you come in contact with who has a need. That seems to be what the answer is in the parable Jesus provides. Well, guess what? When you see that, you're going to realize how many times you have fallen short of loving your neighbor as yourself. 
And if you haven't loved your neighbor as yourself, you haven't loved someone you can actually see, then do you think you've ever truly loved God with all of your heart, mind, body, and soul? By the time you get to the end of this parable, you know, woe is me, I'm undone. You must see the distinction between law and gospel. You obliterate the distinction between law and gospel. You obliterate the gospel. If you do not maintain a proper distinction between law and gospel, you obliterate the gospel. You destroy it. Therefore, no one can be saved. And when I say no one can be saved, no one can be saved believing your message, even though you're intentionally not trying to do so. It's unintentional, but it's constantly happening. So here's what I want you to do today. Very simple. Remember, Bible study exercise. I do some of the teaching. I like to leave it for you. I want you to just make a list. I want you to just make a list. This is very important. I want you to make a list of every time you can find Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just compile a list. You don't need to do anything else with it. All you're just doing is making a list of every time Jesus seems to say, if you want eternal life, do this. You want to be saved, do this. You want to be saved, do this. You're going to be judged according to your works. And he seems to be giving a very works-based salvation, right? I want you to write it all down, okay? And then I want you to ask yourself, what do we do with this? Well, you're left with only a couple of options. Salvation is by works and not by grace alone. Or two, you try to play this game. Well, salvation is by grace alone. However, if you don't do the works, then you were never saved, which still just means you have to do the works. You're just trying to change. You're just playing a little game with language. You're still saying the same thing. All right. Or there's a distinction between what Jesus is doing here and the gospel. And the distinction is he's saying, here's law. Try to be saved by it. Oh, it doesn't work. Now, believe on me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There are plenty of times Jesus puts forth the gospel concept because you need both. So I want you to find every one of those passages. I just want you to see them for yourself. And I think the only way to understand them is a proper distinction between law and gospel. The law says, do this and you will live. You will immediately respond, I don't do this, I haven't done this, and I can't do this. Great. Now, trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Because his perfect righteousness, his passive and active obedience, will be imputed to your account by faith. Right? I'm going to set this pencil down. So, here's what I want you to do. You ready? I want you to write down this hermeneutical key. This is the hermeneutical key. This is the hermeneutical principle that I think is absolutely required to even handle this Luke passage. It's this. You must maintain a proper distinction between law and gospel. You must, at all costs, you must maintain at all costs a proper distinction between law and gospel. You need, to be, you need to be able to sit and listen to a sermon and say, that's law, that's gospel, that's law, that's God. You must be able to look at a passage of scripture and draw the distinction between law and gospel. You must be able to do that. You must maintain that. So write down that hermeneutical key. I want you to, I want you to post it everywhere today. 
You must maintain at all costs a proper distinction between law and gospel. I want you to write that down. I want you to talk about it today. Share it with everyone you know. Talk to Christian friends and family. Make this the point of conversation today. All right? Then I want you to write a list of everything Jesus says in Matt, between Matthew, Mark, and, and Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where he seems to indicate salvation is by works. Are you going to be judged by your works? Anything that you relate to that. If you're not sure about a verse, email me, newsif at yahoo.com and go, I'm not sure about these four verses. I'll turn on the microphone and we'll talk about it. All right? Then I want you to look at that Luke passage and I want you to just ask yourself, is what Jesus is doing here, is he using the law to show the lawyer, hey, you can't, you're not, you don't keep it. You can't keep it. You will never keep it. Because I believe it's absolutely required that you must be crushed by the law before you can cling. Or how do I want to say? You must be crushed by the law before you can be saved by the gospel. You must be crushed by the law. And when I say crushed, you're crushed of all hope. You're crushed of all spiritual arrogance, spiritual pride, and self-righteousness. You must be crushed by it before you can be saved by the gospel. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com newsif at yahoo.com. I hope this generates a lot of important discussion today. There's more we could have done, but remember the Bible study exercise is, is just me kind of placing it there. Someone said, thank you. So that's a good thing. I, I hope so. But I, this is, you don't understand how important that principle is. You've got to maintain that. So fine. Okay. I won't go back and repeat everything. But I, it's one of those things where I feel like, oh, we should have done a little bit more. But then I'm like, nope, that's what I designed this to be. Where I just kind of say, here you go. Now, let's see what happens. So let's talk about it today. All right, thanks. Email me, newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. All right, I'm going to go downstairs, make sure everything is working okay with the AC. It's now, I think, about 108 degrees outside. Man, some parts of Texas today is going to be 115 Man, the last thing I want is anything to go out with power. So uh, just so we'll see. And just uh, there's a lot of elderly people and a lot of people who could, for health reasons, could be very, this heat can be extremely dangerous for them. So pray for those who could be in uh, great danger today because of the heat. All right. Thanks for listening. I I don't know what's on the plan for the rest of the day, but you, we'll always figure something out. Um, we, we may go back to Revelation 17. We'll see. I don't know. Uh, but we'll, we'll, there's always, I've got a stack of things we still need to work on. So you'll, at some point you'll be hearing uh, from me later. All right. Thanks for listening. God bless.